All right. <clears throat> Turn to First John chapter one, verse six. Jonathan, that was a great introduction to what we're going to talk about today, because I'm going to share some really good news with you. And the news is so good that some of you are going to doubt it. This news is so otherworldly, so amazingly unexpected. Many of you will think it can't be. I need to explain something. I'm not dying. <clears throat> Two people asked me in the bathroom, you okay? And I said, no. <clears throat> I'm not a weepy person, but I have not slept for since Tuesday. Excuse me. If I pass out, I'm okay. Really. Really. Uh, I'm saying that seriously. <clears throat> Tuesday, I've been thinking about this passage for all my life, really. I mean, for all my adult life. And it's great. Um, two weeks ago, I delivered a lesson on verse 5. Began thinking about this, reading about this. And then this past Tuesday, about um, <clears throat> during the afternoon... I have been asking myself lots and lots of questions, and the answers started coming. I lay down to sleep at 11 o'clock, approximately 11 o'clock Tuesday night, and my habit of sleep is this. I lay down, I close my eyes, and within five minutes I'm asleep. I'm blessed. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's my, ask Julia, that's my normal sleep, and I sleep all night long. I wake up in the morning, I mean, I, that's how I sleep. I could not go to sleep. This sermon, this lesson, kept going. I finally dozed. I literally did not sleep until 5.30. Dozed for less than three hours. Got up, did everything I was supposed to do Wednesday. Made my appointment, studied some more. And I thought, after my committee meeting Wednesday night, okay, I'm ready to sleep. <laughs> Guess what? I need to sleep. I think I fell asleep around three-ish, something like that. Thursday, the same thing. Friday, the same thing. Uh, and uh, last night, same thing. So I'm operating on two hours, three hours of sleep a night. And I'm just saying that just in case, Joan, just in case, Jonathan, I pass out, I'll try and go down gently. And I'm not having a heart attack. I'm just operating on, what is it, adrenaline or whatever, and I'm run out. I ran out during the first song, and I started getting lightheaded. So, I was okay till then. I can't do this lesson in one part. I was really going to try to do it in one part. It's going to be two, maybe three, all right? Because this is so good. This is so wonderful that, as I said, many of you are going to have a hard time believing this. Many of us aren't going to be able to grasp it. It's something that I'm trying to grasp myself. And to understand this passage, as I've shared with you before, many other people shared, you have to deal with context. Context, context, context. 
You read this verse 6 through 10, you have to look at the verses around it and see what that says. Okay, that's the context. And then you need to know what the context of that book is, that letter is. And then the context of the Bible. And you'll get a, a clear picture of what that passage is saying. Sometimes we center in on one passage and we focus on that and we don't know exactly what that says. And so we... we um, I just looked at the time. My goodness. Have I been up here this long? <laughs> no. Okay. Uh, okay. Um, but anyway, um, we, we need to look at the context of this lesson. All right. Last lesson, we looked at verse 5. All right. We spent time in verse 5. And I need to review that very quickly so that we can get the context of this. This passage in, in the yellow is the passage itself. But he, said, he begins by saying, this is the message. And I share with you that that word message means news. It is the news. And it is good news for the, those of us who are in Christ. This is the message, the good news, that we have heard from Him, that we have heard from Christ. And that we declare to you, and the jo Apostle John here is saying, I heard this as an eyewitness, verse 1 through 4. I was an eyewitness of this. And I'm sharing this with you. I'm declaring it to you. And then he goes into the summation of everything Jesus said. We would expect the good news to be something like this. Jesus died for you and, you don't have, and, you, and you're going to go to heaven. Jesus died for you and you, you're not going to have to go to hell. But that's not the good news. The message, the good news is this. God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. One thing I try to emphasize is this is a God-centric message. It is a Christ-centric message. It is centered totally around God. And he describes it as not centered around us. It's not centered around mankind. The center is God. The good news is about God. And... He describes this as light and physical light. God gave us physical light. The first thing he said was, let there be light. He gave us light. And so light is an expression. We can learn something about light. We can learn something about God. It is God who created light. It's the characteristic of light that helps us understand who God is. What does this mean? First of all, God reveals himself. He lets us know who he is. He lets us know what he's all about. And the final, ultimate way that he did that, the clearest way we can know about God, is through his son, Jesus Christ. That's how we, we can know about God in other ways, but through Jesus, it, it comes in clarity. And we showed that in lots of verses last time. Uh, and I left out a lot of verses. And I'm not going to repeat all those verses. But it, it is there. You know, God, uh, God um, uh, that he revealed himself through his son. <clears throat> Everything Jesus said and did, God is God doing the right thing. It's God, Jesus is doing, Jesus is God doing the right thing in the right way at the right time. Jesus was never partially right. He was always completely holy, pure in everything he did. When he became angry, he was angry in the right way. At the right time, and he did the right thing. And I'm not just talking about cleansing the temple. Read the Gospels. He got angry more than once. 
when he was God in the flesh, he got physically tired. And he said, let's go to the other side of the lake. Get away from these crowds. He took a break. That was right. That was pure. That was the holy thing to do. We don't think of it that way. We think about his teaching as holy and, as, you know, the things he did. But when he went up to the Syrophoenician area, that's away from the, that's in the Gentile world there. That's not the Jewish world. That's the Gentile world. And when he went up there, you know what he was doing? He was taking a vacation. He took a vacation. God took a vacation. God did the right thing at the right time, in the right way. And we need to, as we look at this, God is light. He's revealing himself in Jesus and he says, this is how God lives in the flesh. This is how God handles his humanity. We think of holiness of God. We just think of him doing spiritual things. But it's much, much more than that. God is light. He reveals everything about God that is pure and right. Listen, God's justice, God's wrath, God's mercy, His grace, His love, His patience, go on, is always right. It's always pure. His wrath is not the opposite of love. It's the same thing. It's the same characteristic. It's Him expressing the fullness of Himself. John describes God in three ways. In his gospel, once he says he's, he's spirit. God is spirit. Chapter 4 of John. And in this book, he says God is light and God is love. This describes the whole of God. This isn't different parts of God. It's the whole of God. And he's trying to give it to you from a different angle, different aspect. And then he says, in him is no darkness at all. Not the slightest bit of darkness. Nothing impure, nothing wrong, nothing missing, nothing holy. Unholy. God then also not only reveals himself, he reveals us. He reveals the human race. He tells us what we're all about. He tells about our personality, each person, what our struggle is. Thank you. What our struggles are, what our problems are as as a race and as a person. He reveals our condition, our need, who we are, what our relationship is to him. That's good news. The wrath of God is good news. His justice is good news. His love is good news. Jonathan mentioned this. He's not like a God of the Greeks who sometimes helps us, sometimes hurts us, never know what kind of mood he's in. Everything about God is good news. Now listen carefully. It's good news for those in Christ. This is not good news. It's just news for those outside of Christ, outside of a relationship. It really gets into the bad news area. But in Christ, all this is good news. And so what I'm sharing, what John is sharing, he's sharing to Christians. He's sharing to those in Christ. And so I'm also speaking to those in Christ, those who have put their faith in him, those who are clothed with Christ. We're going to look at that good news. So we're going to look at some practical working outs of this. We're going to look at how the purity and justice and holiness works out in our daily lives in these verses. The good news that connects us 
God, John connects us to this good news by stating those three purposes that I'm going to repeat over and over again as we go through this. When we understand this, John says, I write this so that what? Your, come on, you know it. Joy will be complete, full. I write this so that you, chapter 2, verse 1, will not sin. That you will not sin. And chapter 5, verse is it 13 or 18, somewhere around there. That you will know that you have eternal life. And so as we begin to examine this and apply it, our joy will be full. We will not sin. And we will understand the joy, and not only the joy, we will know that we are, are, have eternal life. Let's read the verses together. Verses 6 through 10. If we claim to have fellowship with Him. And yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word has no place in our heart. I want to give you a couple of principles in understanding how to understand this passage. As I said, the first thing, if we understand this passage and we do not have joy, we don't, do not understand the passage. This passage will give us joy. The news, this, the, uh, many of the interpretations, which I'm going to go into in a minute, take away the joy. You read these passages and they take away the joy because they focus on what you do. And then in subtle and not so subtle ways, it sets up a system of law that we must follow in order to walk into, in the light. And I'm going to explain that in a moment. Again, this news is about God. It's about His nature, what He's done, what, and, and less of what you do. And we're going to look at that passage from the, that viewpoint. Second, there's several ifs here. If, if passages... And I'm not going to get technical at all here. The if passages are, are ifs of supposition rather than condition. I'm going to explain that. If you're a uh, grammar person and you want the grammar on it, I can email it to you, all right? <laughs> but I'm not going to get into the grammar. But what this is, it is technically a condition, but it's a... It's a uh, a particular type of condition. He's not saying, if you do this, then this will happen. If you don't do this, then this won't happen. That's the conditional. He is saying, supposing if. It's a condition of supposition. And then, interestingly, he includes himself. Stay with me. I know this is getting a little bit off. He, he includes himself and his readers, and he says, suppose that we all claim... This. There were certain teachings going around in his day and time. We mentioned them in Lesson 2. Gnosticism. I did not go into Gnosticism because it's a first century problem. I don't want to bore you with Gnostic details. But we, are, we have our own Gnostics today. In our day, people claim knowledge that diminishes sin. We claim knowledge, that, and you, don't, you, don't, you probably don't see this that often. You don't 
recognize it as this, but a special knowledge that diminishes sin. It's like this. I can't help myself. I know something that you don't know. I can't help myself. That's why I'm involved in this sin. God understands my sin. He, he's, he, he understands. He's going to let this go. All right? It's not my fault. My society, my, my eco, economic standard, my mother, my father, whatever. It's not my fault. All those say this. I know something you don't know. I know something that the Bible doesn't say. Does the Bible ever say, you know, sin is not your fault? (laughs) See, and when we say that, we're saying something the Bible doesn't say. When we're saying God understands me and he's going to let this go, we're saying, I'm telling you something the Bible doesn't even say. Amazing. Gnostics. Special knowledge. And so John is using this common, special knowledge that's been flying around in in his society in his century. And he's placing these fallacies in, hey, what if we claim this? And he's saying, see, if we claim this, then this is what happens. And isn't that ridiculous? He's showing you how ridiculous and utterly ridiculous it is to think this way. It would be like me claiming this, saying to you all. You know, if we all claim that God wants us to be happy, and yet we live our lives in opposition to God's word, that would be a lie. You see what I'm saying? This is what John is doing. He's taking the statements that people, that society is saying, and he's saying, if we said that, then it would be a lie. This is important, okay? It really is. He's contrasting false teaching and truth. Now, let me take a drink of water, which I never do. Well, ice too. And I want to talk briefly about some incorrect teachings that we normally think about. And I get these through conversations for years, books I've read, people I've talked to, come up with these, what what I've come to, to believe are incorrect statements. These words are so simple. Did you notice that? God is light in him. Uh, not there. I mean, verse 6. If we claim to have fellowship with him, and yet we live in darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. The, the language is easy, but the, but the concepts are so deep that if you take your time to meditate and think about this, it's astonishing. Let's look at a few things. Verse 6. He says, walk in darkness. Most people interpret that or say, walk in darkness means living a life of sin. It's the opposite of light. God is light. That means he's pure, he's holy, so it means living in sin. Therefore, living a sinful life. Verse 7, walking in the light. It's contrasting. We're walking in the light. That therefore must mean living a life of purity and holiness. Now, perhaps not sinlessness. Not sinless, because we know we're not sinless. But we're moving in that direction. We're living holy and good moral lives. One quote from one writer, and I won't quote who it is. He says, truth has nothing to do with sin. Nothing. He's talking about us and our participation here. Light has nothing to do with sin. And he and many other people, my own thinking, writings I've read, say walking in the light. If you're walking in the light, that means you have nothing to do with sin. Think about that for a second. 
can't be true for three reasons. First, the context doesn't support it. Read the, read the verses here. Verse 7 says those who are walking in the light are having their sins purified. That means they're sinning. That means they have sin in their lives. doesn't mean they're sinless. Verse 8, 9, and 10 all show that sin is a part of walking in our lives. Look at verse 8. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. If we confess our sins, that means we're sinning. If we claim we have not sinned, walking in the light, as we walk in the light, sin is involved. I don't know how else it's so clear. Second, it can't be only certain types of sin. We all say, well, you know, we're trying, we're, it's not, we're not totally sinless. We start to limit it to certain types of sin. So people explain it by, and I read this over and over, people explain by saying walking in the darkness is committing certain types of sin, moral sins, willful sins. Walking in the light, living righteously means that the sins that we have that are being purified, and I'm going to quote you something here. These sins, walking in the lights, are sins of omission, sins of ignorance, sins we know nothing about in, the life, in our lives. And for that reason, for the reason that we have not grown in grace enough to see that they are sins. In other words, this writer is categorizing sins. And he says the sins that God purifies you from are the sins of ignorance, the sins that you don't know about, the sins that you uh, omit, omission. The sins that you haven't learned yet that are sins. So we categorize and limit it to certain sins. And it violates this passage. And it violates the amazing grace of God. Because in this passage he says this. It purifies us from what? All sins. And he said, and he cleanses us from, verse 8 and 9, all unrighteousness. I looked that word up. You know what all means? All, every, everyone, there's no category here. It's all sin, every sin, which brings us to my third reason. And I didn't start it here. I ended here. It's dangerous to start here. I want to explain why. That view that it's certain sins, that walking the light means I'm living a pure and holy life and I'm not committing sin, does not Fill us with joy. They can't. I keep wondering, have I crossed the line? Have I left light? Am I in darkness? And so without noticing it, I start setting up a group of laws that I live by, thus nullifying the grace of God, verse book of Galatians. And I begin categorizing sins and justifying my sins. Let me explain that. We categorize it. Walking in the light can't mean the bad sins of drunkenness, fornication, stealing. That's walking in the darkness. But what about my impatience, my anger, my gluttony? Not just food. What about my entertainment gluttony, my lustful thoughts, mixing some bitterness, some jealousy, whatever? You know, we can walk, we start justifying. We do this. We start justifying ourselves and say, you know, I can live, I can live these kinds of sins and I'm still walking in the light. 
And then, this is my own words here, we start classifying sins. And the best way I can say it is we have our felony sins and our misdemeanor sins. (laughs) Really. If I don't willfully sin, I'm okay. It's a misdemeanor. And if I do these bad things, it's felonies. Yeah. And then we further classify, and some of you will know exactly what I'm talking about. Class A, Class B, and Class C felonies. <laughs> Armed robbery. You commit that sin, that's a felony, Class A felony sin. But what about slacking off at work? Robbing your employee by not doing as much work? Misdemeanor. All right? Unless I'm dipping in the till, Class C felony. Right? Unless I'm doing it every day, then it's a Class B felony. You know? You see what we're doing? We're starting to justify, we're starting to categorizing our sins. And what about those willful sins? This type of sin, this type of teaching, encourages us toward ignorance instead of light. One writer, it's the writer I quoted, is just a sense of omission, sense of ignorance. I don't know, the, you know if, the, if the blood of Jesus is purifying me at this point. In fact, I, it, it, it would be better that I don't study the Bible and don't learn what the Bible says and stay in ignorance so I can keep myself cleansed. Isn't that, I mean, that's what he said, sense of ignorance. If I can keep myself ignorant, then I'm staying in the light. If I learn that it's a sin and I do it, then I'm in darkness. So I'm encouraged to live a life of ignorance. Here's another quote. Therefore, a person cannot live willfully in sin and have things in common with God who is holy. This sounds right. Those who claim to have fellowship with God and who live unholy lives are fakers. They are not real believers. Sounds good until I apply it to myself. What Christian who's been a Christian for more than a year doesn't know when he's sinning. No, doesn't know he's sinning when he's sinning. Think about that. You're having a selfish day. You know you're having a selfish day. You know you're being demanding when you shouldn't be demanding. You know it. And you go and do it. You keep doing it. Well, it's a misdemeanor. It's okay. See what I'm saying? This, this kind of thinking that walking in the light is pure and, and walking in darkness is, is uh, total um, sin makes us do this. Makes us demand, you know, when we're demanding, when we, we, we know, how many times have you been in an argument with someone and you know you're wrong and you keep doing it? Willful sin. So it leads to justifi- justifying our sins. Or living in doubt, both probably. You know, worry is a sin. But I don't worry, I just have proper concern. I am not gossiping. I am reporting facts. See? I'm not stealing from my employer. I'm just taking what I'm worth. He's not paying me what I'm worth. We justify our sins so that we, so we, can, so we can live without going crazy. Joy gone. Sin increased. Salvation questioned. If we take the stance 
That walking in the light means I'm a pure person. I'm not doing anything wrong. And walking in darkness is when I live habitually in sin. My joy will be gone. My sin will increase. My salvation I will question. Thinking this way without hardly noticing it, the message becomes me-centered. Remember, what's the good news? It's God-centered. It's not me-centered. It's God-centered. Walking in the light, if I believe walking is the light, in the light, is determined how I live my life. If walking in the light is to the degree that I am not sinning, if it's determined how long I've struggled with the same sins, and I've struggled with the same sin for two years is bad enough, but what about 20, 30, 40, 50 years? Been a Christian long enough, you look back, you've been struggling with the same sin for 30 years, 40 years. Surely that's walking in darkness, isn't it? And suddenly I need to remember the good news is about God. It's God-centered. Salvation is about the sacrifice of Jesus. And staying saved is about Jesus. Staying saved has nothing to do with you measuring up to whatever standard you want to put. Okay. We're, we're going to end. First, I want to make a couple of things clear before I get into it next week. I am not excusing sin. I am not making light of sin. I am not giving you a license to go out and sin. Alright? Make that clear. We will, we will see that as we look at this passage. There's no excuse. Alright? If you're thinking that, you're drawing incorrect solutions. You're drawing a conclusion based on grace, as I said, so amazing you don't believe it. And you're having a difficult time processing it and thinking, but how can that be true? If you think I'm giving the young Christians an opportunity to go back into sin and do what they want to, at least I'm in good company. Let me read you a passage. Romans chapter 3, verse 5, Paul. If our unrighteousness brings out God's righteousness more clearly, what shall we say? That God isn't just in bringing in his wrath on us? And I'm using a human argument, he says. Certainly not. If that were so, how could God judge the world? Then listen carefully. Someone might argue, if my falsehood enhances God's truthfulness and so increases glory... Why am I still condemned as a sinner? Why not say, listen to Paul, as we are so slanderously reported as saying, and as some claim we have said, let us do evil that good may result. What I'm saying here is Paul's message was so good that people were saying, Paul is saying, do evil so that good will result. And so I don't want you to think I'm... Encouraging sin. Jesus is called a friend of sinners. I wonder why. I'm not saying we don't do things, okay? I'm not saying you don't put off certain practices and put on certain practices. Yes, I've, I've preached on that. I'm just saying that doesn't keep you in the light. Your efforts don't put you in the light. It's God. It's a God-centered message. 
Stay with me. I, I hope you've been listening with grace ears. <laughs> and you can send me questions, sermonthoughts.yahoo. We're going to look eventually, chapter 2, verse 1. I write this so you will not sin, and we'll see how these verses will help us in that direction. Secondly, if we take the view that walking the light is living somewhat pure life and walking in the darkness is when we habitually sin, I think that actually encourages sin. Let me tell you how. It encourages me to be a hypocrite. I start hiding sin, pretending to myself and to others. It encourages me devaluing the horror of every sin by categorizing bad and worse sins. I say, your sin of drunkenness put Jesus on the cross. Yes. But my impatience, not so much. See what we're doing? We don't think impatience is that bad. We don't think anger is that bad. Unless it gets rage. And so we're encouraging sin in the little sins, the misdemeanor sins, but we're encouraging sin. It encourages self-righteousness by comparing my sins with yours. See, I'm not so bad as you. I don't, and you do. It encourages a self-focused life by trying to do better and trying to be better and doing everything I can to be a better Christian. And so I focus I go myself again. We don't realize we do it. It's so subtle. It encourages living a self-made set of rules that I make up in my mind and laws that I follow, and I nullify the grace of God when I do this. So you're going to say, well, what does it mean? That's, that's the, I need another hour. That's why I'm going to do it next week. But I am going to give you a hint. Let me tell you what I think it means. <clears throat> and we're going to go into this next week. I believe walking in the light means this. I'm living a life in the open exposure of God revealing to you our sins and utterly depending on Him for my initial salvation and my continued salvation. That's walking in the light. Walking in the darkness is living a life. Yes, it can be all those sins, but it's living a life as a Christian, where we have moved to the point that we're handling our own sins, we've got a grip on them, we've gotten rid of the worst ones, we're doing well, we're okay, living in the darkness. We're going to see how this exactly works out with those three if statements. Let me tell you a story, though I'll be done. Gary, I'm going to tell a story, and you're going to lead a song, and the elders are going to come up, and they're going to... If you need to come forward, you can come forward. I need to sit down. All right? So I'm going to tell the story. You leave the song. Two guys were coming into the church building. One looked really nice, dressed up, combed hair, pretty sharp-looking guy. As he came to the door, about the same time, there was another guy who did not look that well. Dirty jeans, T-shirt that, of all things... Advertised beer. Well, I can't combed his hair or washed his hair in three or four days. Um, same thing with this. He hadn't shaved. And when they came, the, the, the nice looking guy 
thought, well, should I say something? But the other guy looked down and didn't even pay attention. Didn't, they didn't make eye contact, and he was kind of like, good, and they walked in the building together. And the nice-looking guy came and sat halfway up front with this nice-looking family. You see, he had, he had dropped them off at the door, and then he had driven off the campus here to give parking to people who came and visited. That's how good he was, parking off campus. <laughs> a little hint for John, okay? <laughs> and I'm not a hint for John. I, I, John encourages that. <laughs> the other guy sat in the back corner. He was trying to get a, just in the back where he wouldn't disturb anyone. And as the, uh, ha- the, our custom sometimes is, so someone got up to say a prayer and he said, Listen, I want everyone to stand up. And for the first uh, minute, I want you to pray silently. Okay? And so they all stood up. I'm not that old. I'm just that tired. And the, the first guy, he, his prayer to himself was something like this. God, I'm so thankful I'm not like so many other people. You know, I haven't committed adultery and got a good job and I don't steal haven't done what this world encourages me to do. I don't watch pornography. Don't do a lot of those things. Which reminded me of that guy I almost bumped into. I'm not like him at all. I'm glad I'm not like him. You know what I've done, Lord? I have, I've been in this church for a long time. and I've taught classes from the littlest to the adults. Been a deacon. Worked hard for you. I used to give 10%. I'm now giving 16%. I've increased my giving. And the minute ended. The other one, he was got up and he had to hold the back of the chair. And if anyone was paying attention to him, they would have thought he was having a heart attack because he's holding his chest and touching it. And about the only thing... If you could hear him, he would say, he would say, mercy. God have mercy on me, the sinner. A lot of you know that's from Luke chapter 18. If you don't know it, read it. Jesus told the same story. And he said this, I tell you the truth, that man went home justified. He went home justified. And I think that man went home and he did not know he was... He still felt bad, I'm sure. No one told him he was justified, but God knew he was justified. Another man went home feeling good. And he wasn't justified. And the point is this. The good man, the good churchgoer, was walking in darkness. He was looking at, him, at himself, what he had done, the years of sacrifice in the church, how he had raised a good family, what he had done, how he had served the Lord and all these things, and he, sent, he centered the gospel around himself. And he did not realize the need that he has for God as a good person, as a churchgoer, as a person who loves the family of God, etc., and the other person was walking in the light and didn't not even know it because he realized his utter and complete dependence on God. That without him he had nothing. 
He was totally lost without Him. That's walking in the light. And we're going to keep on doing this in a little while. Next week. Oh, that you got a